Amen. You may be seated. Let us pray. Almighty God, and you are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Upon our, open our eyes that we may see the wonders of your word and give us grace that we may clearly understand and freely choose the way of your wisdom. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Well, please open up your Bibles to Jonah. To Jonah. We're making our way through Jonah, and we're finally, finally in chapter two. It's taken us a while to get there, but the Lord is good, and He graciously gives us His word that we may read it, that we may contemplate, that we may meditate upon it, and that we may hear it preached, that we may grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus. Well, I will be reading from chapter 1, verse 17, all the way through chapter 2, verse 10, and it's the same passage that I read last week, so don't be alarmed. It's a different sermon, same passage. Hear now as I read God's holy word. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. At the roots of the mountains, I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope and steadfast love, but I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. God's word. Brothers and sisters, have you ever wondered why you would be brought to the point where you need to go through trials and troubles in your life? Have you ever thought about why you need to go through the things that you go through due to others' sin or even due to your own sin? Yes, you've thought or said or even done something that is not pleasing to God, so you need to receive the discipline due for your sin. And it, it's bad. It hurts. It's lasting longer than you ever expected. 
Well, one reason why you or anyone else called by God need to endure this is that God intends for it to bring it back to him, bring you back to himself. Because discipline is not just punishment. There is a God-intended teaching mechanism which is embedded. And God wants you to realize that you need him above all else. And he wants to bring you to your knees in prayer. He, he wants to bring you to a point where in the midst of your struggle, amid your pain, amid your confusion, amid your separation for a moment from him, that you would reach out only to the only one who can save you. He wants you to lift up your voice, even if it's hard, and call on his name. And prayer is one of the three ordinary but primary means that he uses for your growth in grace as he makes you, as he shapes you, as he molds you more and more into the image of his Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. That's what is happening here in chapter 1, verse 17 through 2, verse 10. God, in his sovereign mercy, reaches out his fathering hand, fatherly hand of chastisement down to Jonah. He, God reaches his hand all the way down below the boat, below the waves, below the weeds, all the way down into the belly of that great fish, which he himself had appointed to swallow up Jonah. And he grabs a hold of him. And he says, you are one of my own. You are one of my own choosing. You are the one that I chose to share the good news of my kingdom to the Gentiles of Nineveh. And God nudges Jonah's heart and Jonah realizes it. Jonah knows it. And he is brought back to trust and faith. He is brought back to God's presence and God's word. He hears God's word again. Remember in chapter one, he endeavored to run away from God. It was his heart's will, so to speak, to run away and get away from God's word. So God appoints a fish to swallow him up, not just as a means of discipline, but as a means of his gracious rescue. You know, God's on a rescue mission. Inside the fish, Jonah has nowhere to run now. He has nowhere to hide now. He's not going anywhere. And God brings him to his knees in prayer and in gratitude. God brings Jonah to his knees in prayer. And from this prayer, you see a genuine change of heart. 
that occurs in Jonah, Jonah is, for the time being, genuinely repentant. Uh, he's sorry. And he does a 180-degree turnaround. And that's what it's like. Because God's kindness does indeed, without a doubt, lead to repentance, doesn't it? From this section in the book of Jonah, we can see that without a doubt, Jonah knew his Bible. Jonah must have been very familiar with the way that the Psalms were composed and the content of the Psalms that were composed. Because this chapter is reminiscent of the book of Psalms and the way that it is laid out for us and the way that it is structured. Because there's uh, two bookends, and between those two bookends, 117 being Jonah inside the fish, and 210, Jonah being vomited up to dry land, we see Jonah's prayer. We see Jonah's psalm which is almost exactly like several of the Psalms in the Psalter. In verse 2, we see the introduction to the Psalm and the summary of how God answers prayer. In verses 3 through 6a, we see a description of past events and the crisis that Jonah was in. In verse two, six, uh, chapter 2, verse 6b, we see the pendulum swing to a reference to Jonah's rescue. And in verses 8 through 9, we see Jonah giving thanks again and making a vow of praise to God. I want you to really think about this and to have this structure in your minds as you consider this passage this evening. So from these verses, we are going to consider how God rescues those whom he came to save by his sovereign grace. And I hope that you will see that in God's mercy, he brings us back to himself. He, he allows us to endure affliction as a means of fatherly discipline for our sin, but also because of the abundant grace that God has in his heart toward his people. Again, Throughout this little book of Jonah, you will continue to be reminded of God's judgment and his mercy. You'll continue to see what Luther and Calvin and Edwards, among many other great theologians, refer to as God's merciful wrath. God is merciful, God is just. God is both. He's not one or the other. He's both. We must get that God will not let one of those whom he set his son on a mission to seek and save fall away or leave him. No matter how hard you try to escape like Jonah and to which lengths you attempt to run away, God will sovereignly bring you back while in the belly of the God-appointed, that particular fish, Jonah had done some thinking about what a mess his rebellion had gotten himself into. 
and he was sorry. And he cried out to his God. And what he prays in verse 2 is very similar to the psalmist who said in Psalm 18.6, In my distress I called upon the Lord and cried out to my God. And so the idea behind verses 3 to 4 are, is very similar to Psalm 130 verses 1 through 3, uh, where it mentions the psalmist crying to God out of the depths. Brothers and sisters, when you are st stuck in the storm of disaster and you realize it is maybe because of your wrongdoing, God wants you to repent and come back to him. God is standing there with his loving arms wide opening, wide open, beckoning you to come back. Jonah is an Old Testament picture of a sheep who has gone astray but is found by his shepherd, as Ezekiel 34 mentions, for example. He is also a picture of the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15 who tried to run away from the father while he squandered his inheritance, wasting it on things that were not beneficial for his well-being. But when he gets back home, because he realizes that he was on the wrong path, the father welcomes him with open arms. That means that no matter how far you run or how much of your life you have just wasted, God will always welcome you back. Not only is Jonah welcomed back into the loving arms of the father, he has also returned to God's word. As we see from this prayer, his, his desire to follow him wherever he may go. And that is part of repentance, isn't it? Not only is it being sorry for your wrongs, we, we can all be sorry, but it is turning 180 degrees from your wrong way to the Father's way. So you'd say, like the Savior, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. But what caused this? What brought about this change in Jonah's mind and heart? Well, to get this, you need to realize something about God's dealings with his people, don't you? Because God is just. And God will not let sin go unpunished. But God is also gracious and merciful and loving and compassionate. First, you need to acknowledge that the affliction that Jonah mentions here in verse 2 came from nowhere else but from God's hand alone. All this that Jonah went through came from God's hand alone. Jonah is probably mentioning a previous prayer he had made as to come back again to God and his omnipotence. He's saying that God allowed it to happen to him. He allowed the misery to swell within Jonah 
because God allows everything that happens to happen for his glory and the good of his people. Now, you guys probably know this woman well. I've only read about and heard about her, but Joni Erickson Tata, who is a quadriplegic who runs summer camps for children and young adults with disabilities. Well, rather than give up on God and wallow in her weakness, she used her weakness for God's glory. She can use her disability and use her, she uses her disability for God's kingdom. Well, also my children and I like to watch or used to like to watch a variety show called America's Got Talent. Sorry if I offended you, but we used to like to watch that. I said used to. Yeah, I watch some of it sometimes. And a few years ago, a golden buzzer winner was a woman by the name of Nightbird. That was her stage name. Her husband decided that uh, he didn't love her anymore, and he divorced her. And she had cancer in some of her vital organs and only had, at the time, about a 2% chance to live. She was a Christian, and unfortunately, the American networks all edit out Christian language. But here is what we got to hear her say on the show. She said, quote, you can't wait until life isn't hard anymore before you decide to be happy. I have a 2% chance of survival, but 2% is not 0%. 2% is something, and I wish people knew how amazing it is. She succumbed to her illness not too long ago. But we don't know the reason that these two particular women had these afflictions and, and Joan, uh, Joni has her affliction. But we do know that they are a result of God's first sin, uh, Adam's first sin, God didn't sin, Adam's first sin, and the Lord allowed it for his sovereign purposes. Jonah realizes that in his prayer. Jonah realizes that his affliction caused him to cry out to God, and so should we. Then Jonah connects that to his current situation and says that he cried out to God from out of the belly of Sheol, which is the place of death, which is the grave. You see, from his perspective, if he doesn't get out of the fish and out of the depths of that water, he will surely suffocate and the fish's belly would soon be his grave. Jonah cries out from the deepest of the deep, from the lowest of his lows to the highest of highs. And God heard his voice. The sound of Jonah's cries, the sound of Jonah's prayer reached God's ear as it traveled all the way through the fish's organs and the bile in the depths of the seas, God heard one of his own. A prophet called by God. He knew that Jonah would call out and he heard him. And that's also the human experience. 
There are several testimonies of what it took for God to get people's attention and wake up to his call. When I was young, my mother was in a bad car accident where she was airlifted to the nearest hospital where she almost died. They actually had to use that defibrillator to keep her going. And from that horrible experience, my mom remembered the gospel that had been preached to her time and time again. There are people here where God strips them of everything that they hold dear and near. But that draws them to the realization of the one whom they need more than anything or anyone else. We also need to realize from this psalm of Jonah that your sins you will be chastised for. Your sin might go unnoticed by other people, but sorry, it does not go unnoticed from God. Hebrews 12 is very clear that our Heavenly Father chastises His children because He loves us and because we belong to Him. Verses 5 and 6 say, My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by Him, for the Lord disciplines the one He loves and chastises every son whom He receives. Jonah was rebelliously running rampantly away. His pride, his ego, his fear, all got in the way of God's will and mission for his life. And that is so easy for all of us because indeed we are all prone to wander, a Lord I feel it prone to leave the God I love. We are prone to wander away from the one who called us because he loved us. And so Jonah recounts the agony the Lord put him through to discipline him. He recounts being uh, in the wind and the waves. He recounts the Lord using the sailors to hurl him off the boat into the depths of the sea below the heart of the seas, he says. And the currents of the ocean passed over him. If you have ever uh, been to the beach and got caught in a wave, it pushes you to and fro and you get all twisted up as if you were stuck inside of a washing machine and you get disoriented and dizzy and scared, you might swallow some salt water. Yet for Jonah, it was much worse. And the waters closed over me to take my life, he says. Jonah was running away from God, and he went to the innermost part of the ship, heading to the complete opposite direction, from where God wanted him to go, and he made his bed in the depths of the boat, but God had him in the depths of the ocean where the water surrounded even his soul, just the innermost, deepest part of his being. 
The end had come for Jonah. He says, weeds were wrapped about my head. You see, the weeds were about to choke him out as it will. And he was thrust down into the foundations, into the roots of the mountains, which is, by the way, the deepest part of the sea. Don't quote me on this. I forgot where it is. I think it's in Hawaii where actually the tallest mountain is because they measure it from the base of the mountain, which is at the bottom of the sea. You know, it's like a dark prison there with the prison gates closed behind Jonah. Jonah felt like he was given over to the gates of hell. Well, why would Jonah recall all of these details? Jonah recalls all of this to magnify God's love for him. The extremity of his discipline points to the great and awesome power of God who went through the deepest depths to call back his servant whom he had given such an important purpose for his life. Now, this experience may not be as extreme for you, but it might. How long and how far are you going to go before you realize that you really do need the Lord every hour? Look at the Apostles Paul, the Apostle Paul. He was the world's greatest human persecutor of God's church. He was the world's greatest human persecutor of Christians in his day. Acts chapter 8, verse 3, for example, it says, But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. And then we read in Acts 9, 1 and 2, But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if you found any belonging to the way, Christians, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. And then he looks back on his life before meeting Christ. In Philippians 3, verse 6, he says, concerning zeal, persecuting the church. That's what he thrived on. That's what got him excited, was persecuting the church of Christ. But what happens in, in Saul's life? In Acts 9, he was struck blind and convicted by Jesus himself that because he was persecuting the church, he was actually persecuting Jesus himself. On the road to Damascus, the apostle's life was changed. He was brought to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, the Savior and Lord. And so even if it comes to the point of God allowing something serious in your lives to wake you up, then so be it. What we are talking about here is not cause and effect, but the discipline of the Lord. The Lord doesn't necessarily, toward his children, repay evil for evil. What he does, though, 
is graciously and kindly lead us to repentance. And this leads up to the next thing we need to be reminded of in this text. God's heart is full of grace toward his own. God lavishes his special, particular grace on his children. In the final stanzas of his prayer, Jonah exalts God's grace. An important connecting word appears here in verse 6b. It says, yet. Sometimes we glance over those connecting words. God could have allowed Jonah to die in the sea. After all, he is God. But he didn't. Jonah says that he has brought up my life from the pit. He was rescued from Sheol. When he was brought to the lowest of lows, he remembered God who is in the highest of highs. He thanks and he praises the Lord for his miraculous rescue. He lifts up his eyes to the hills from whence his help comes. And God certainly hears his cry for help. His life, which he surely believed was doomed, or nowadays the kids say was toast, was spared. God snatches us from the pit in his grace. He will not let any of you hang over the fire for very long. He is patient and he is good toward his people. There might be agony and suffering along the way, but he will come and rescue you. Again, who is the hero of the story? It is God. He always is. What does Jonah say at the end of verse 9? Salvation belongs to the Lord. The Lord God is the author and the agent of salvation. He is the one who wrought salvation, and that is what sums up the book of Jonah. Actually, that is what sums up the entire Bible. Salvation does indeed belong to the Lord. How thankful are you tonight for God's salvation? And that, in fact, you did not have anything to do with it. Because if you had anything to do with it, it would not be a perfect salvation. You wouldn't be saved. It was all God's gracious dealings with you. That he did not let you suffer the end that your sins deserve. Now, when you hear and read the word affliction here in the Psalm of Jonah, you should be reminded of what Isaiah 53 says about the man of God in verses 4 through 6. And, and I want you to really listen to this. Talking of, of course, Jesus, it says, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities, Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. 
All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And immediately you should be brought to your knees. You know, Jesus Christ did nothing to deserve affliction. Yet the Lord placed all of your sins and all that your sins deserved upon his shoulders. Saul came from the Father's hand. And the chastisement due our sins was laid on his shoulders. God made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might be the righteousness of God. That's what Paul says. Jesus Christ bore our just punishment. He paid the price of his blood for us. Jonah says that he was cast into the deep, that he dwelt in the belly of Sheol. But look at Jesus Christ. Before dying on the cross, Jesus cries out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsakest me? And then he breathes his last breath. And then Jesus is brought down from the cross and buried in a tomb in the heart of the earth. As Jonah remained in the belly of that great fish for three days and three nights, so Jesus remains in the tomb. The whole series of events that he went through, the scorn, the reviling, the lashing, the crown of thorns, the hanging on the cross, the losing his breath and suffocating, and the burial in the tomb, remaining there for three whole days. He experienced that hellish suffering for you, for all of you who are repenting and believing on Jesus. Jesus Christ did this to save you from your sin and misery, to save you from hell. Jesus Christ drank the cup of God's wrath that you or I did not need to drink. Oh, what a wonderful and amazing salvation. Oh, what a wonderful Savior. So, Christian, whether you need to endure affliction or you need to endure chastisement, discipline, remember what your Lord and Savior went through for you. Yes, your experience in many ways is just like Jonah's. God will use whatever means possible to draw you back to him. And you will go. You will follow. So I urge you all tonight, hold on to the promise that he will in, indeed come and save you fully and completely, even on the last day. So trust in him. Trust him. He knows everything about you. He knows everything you're going through. He knows your struggles. He knows your weaknesses. He knows your pain. 
He knows your emotional struggles, your physical. Cast yourself on him tonight. Don't wait. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you for Jesus Christ, the one that bore all the chastisement and all that our sins deserved. And he took them to the cross on our behalf so we would not have to endure to such a, an extent or degree as Christ did. And our Lord, we pray that as we contemplated this passage, that you would help us to lift up our eyes to the hills, to Jesus Christ himself, the one who is the author and perfecter of our faith. And so we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.